Welcome to episode eight, guys, of the Australian Athletic Podcast. We have a very, very special guest today. We've got Chris Senden from Integrated Performance. Chris, could you please um, introduce yourself? Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's very uh, excited to be here. So I'm a sports nutritionist and personal trainer from the southern suburbs of Adelaide, working a bit of a combination of online and in person. Beautiful. Oh, you've just said exactly what you do, but introduce yourself. Why did you get into the fitness industry? How did you get into online coaching? Please give yourself a little bit of background. Yeah, sure, mate. So I've always been active, active as a teenager, into my team sports. I played footy, cricket, tennis. Um, really got into bodybuilding when I was about 16, 17. Um, as it seems, uh, a lot of people sort of make their entry into the fitness industry through that sort of training. So yeah, looking up to people like Arnie and, and Ziz in the old days, <laughs> um, that was my main motivation. Um, just wanted to increase my self-esteem. Uh, yeah, never a super confident kid. And just found, yeah, found like a real deep, deep love for weightlifting and for bodybuilding in particular in the early days. Um, years went by, eventually got into the fitness industry after um, lots of putting off for my uh, comfy, secure job. And um, yeah, then found myself two years, just over two years ago, finally became a personal trainer, or got a job as a personal trainer, and then just sort of found that there was something missing in my business. Like I really uh, put a lot of time and effort into nutrition and like mindset coaching with my clients, being a lot of general population, um, and not so much like the elite athletes. That was um, like two really big components to their their success, so I figured that I needed to go and get for, um, formally accredited. So I began with the Sports Nutrition Association at the start of the year, and um, finished off my accreditation with uh, uh, post-grad diploma at the end of this year as well. Yeah, I've known people that have started in the industry pretty much from day dot. So as soon as they get out of high school, they either do their PT course or they go through studying through uni. And then there's obviously people that don't go into that straight away. They get a job and then find they're actually not really satisfied in what they're doing. What did you do prior to getting yourself into the fitness industry? Um, I guess a couple of years prior to getting into the industry, I was just doing a lot of my own research and some credible sources, some probably not so credible. You know, you look at all the online forums and things and then you came across people like Eugene Teo or Eugene Tao and um, lots of um, sports science and um, biomechanics type pages on Instagram. And that sort of uh, led to me doing more research and looking at articles and stuff that they put out and applying things to my own training. And um, yeah, then I got into a couple uh, seminars and stuff just prior to becoming accredited. So there's one that was uh, Dan Kirkbride's um, rehab mentorship. And that was one that I really got a lot out of and just sort of filled in some of the blanks in my knowledge, having not done tertiary studies um, on anatomy and physiology, which I found really important. It's amazing how much you can actually learn through content online and through seminars like that. Everyone thinks that you have to go through a certain pathway. You have to go through a certain pathway to get legally accredited. Okay. <laughs> I always go by that. Yeah. You don't necessarily want to go and skip over every single hurdle, but it's unreal how much you can actually learn yourself. And some of the smartest people out there when it comes to training and nutrition aren't even in the industry necessarily. They involve themselves in it, but they don't necessarily have a background behind them, nor are they trying to give advice. They just know their shit, don't yeah, they? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, you started at PT. Why did you want to go down the online coaching route? Obviously, you're still seeing people in person, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Why did you then uh, go down the <laughs> online coaching route? Oh, I guess from the, the early on, I, I saw it as an opportunity to scale my business more. Um, it's never always been like all about trying to get the most clients possible or anything, but I just wanted to create like a, a relatively balanced lifestyle, you know, what it's like in the industry, like you work mm-hmm. a lot of early mornings, late nights, yeah. and then usually find a way to fill up the rest of the day in between with work. There's you know, endless amounts of things that need to be done on the back end. So I just wanted to find a bit of a balance between, um, yeah, having lots of one-on-one clients and having the online as well, just to 
even out a little bit and give me more of a yeah sustainable lifestyle. So mm-hmm. I found that at first online coaching was like my second or third tier option uh, offering. But as sort of grew and expanded my knowledge and stuff and became accredited for nutrition as well, I was able to provide online coaching as like the sort of same top tier service that my personal training was. Yeah. And rather than being a different um, yeah, different tier, it was just a, a different option for people that either had a slightly smaller budget or weren't located within like 20Ks of me. Yeah, and that's the real, real hard part of our industry. We're in a position where we can provide the best service possible, but it gets to a point where we're either working too much and that means that we're having to work stupidly early in the morning mm. or really, really late at night or both because majority of the people aren't free throughout the day. We have to charge more because people want to see us more and it's how do you scale that while still maintaining the quality because you can't give everyone the same program. The amount of preparation time equally correlates with the amount of people that you're going to see. So if you're seeing less people, you're going to have less preparation time. But if you're seeing more people, you have to prepare even more. So your hours just start to stack up. Then you've got to go, all right, how do I keep this up? Because I can't work more than 24 hours a day. I only have seven days in the week. How can I actually make this something long-term and sustainable while still trying to maintain some sort of lifestyle? Yeah, see, we've all got the same what, 148 hours or whatever it is yeah. per week to work with. So we've got to, just got to find ways to leverage time better. And I actually started, um, before I really started pushing online and became confident as an online coach, I started doing what I called the hybrid method. And I started um, getting my more experienced clients and saying, hey, look, I'd like to see you once a fortnight or once a month and give them the online programming and you know, nutrition goals and stuff like that. Um, and started sort of transitioning into more of an online approach from there. So it's been baby steps. I mean, it's happened in the span of two years from start to finish, but it's still been little baby steps across the way until um, to the point where I was really confident as offering a purely online solution. Yep. And at that point, you, oh, you know, honestly, you can be proud of the client themselves, but you have to be proud of yourself too to put them in a position where they can literally just read off a program and yeah, then be able to it. do it. They're competent enough. They probably <clears throat> don't need you in that sense necessarily, mm-hmm. but they want to work with you because you're still providing a great service and you're still providing guidance and you're taking out that preparation time that they would have to usually put into actually getting their workout sorted. Yeah, definitely, man. It's definitely still um, takes two to tango. Still, uh, we've got to still have a strong team. And I feel like in online, you can have a higher turnover of clients. Like you could probably make arguments for both, but it's definitely harder to keep people engaged and like build that strong connection when you're talking over WhatsApp or over email and stuff like that. And obviously having that face-to-face connection, you can really build rapport a lot quicker. You build, you create mates, you create relationships, yeah. honestly, let's face it. That's what it's about. I, yeah. I, I know that people go, you should keep business and life separate. Nah. If you work with people long enough and you see them <clears throat> two, three, four hours of the day, yeah. you're eventually gonna build some kind of relationship with them. You're actually gonna give a shit about them. If you don't, well, you're pretty cold hearted. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I agree, man. Like, I see one of my old, oldest my oldest clients today, I see him four hours a week. Um, usually I only see people, you know, once every week, every two weeks, but yeah, I see him four hours a week, every week. And, you know, went to his engagement and like, you get a really strong bonds, even without catching up outside of work. Like you just like see him almost as much as I see my fiance. <laughs> well, funnily enough, you say that, um, one of my clients said that he sees me more than he sees his wife, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> I think they need to help each other out of oh, that, but dear. it probably shows how much like, <clears throat> if that is the case, if you spend that long with someone, you better hope that you get along with them. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, work becomes a real chore. Absolutely. And man. that's where it really does become healthy. And that's where the, our passion comes from. Yes, we train people. Yes, we try to help improve their health and fitness goals. But we also love people at the end of the day. We want to get to know them. Yeah, we love what you do. Exactly. Now, with your business and with your coaching, you have a very, very emphasis on nutrition. 
Yeah. What spurred that along? Um, well, like I was saying before, I just found that with my particular clients, um, mainly gen pop and like sort of recreational athletes, you know, I've got some clients who are playing state level, but most people are just the backyard um, sort of local league athlete. Um, I found that nutrition was like the biggest thing that they were missing, but a good understanding of their um, sports nutrition and of their like mindset and like uh, help with habits and behaviors to enforce their program. That was like the, the two major things that were really missing. So I probably at the start of the year, once I became accredited in sports nutrition, I changed up my uh, branding a little bit and yeah, changed the, my username to sports nutrition says he just to sort of uh, officially let everyone know that was having a bit of a movement in my business. Yeah. Um, and yeah, started changing my content quite heavily around nutrition and sports nutrition, body composition, performance um, ever since then. Yep. Um, what would you say that are the, is the biggest draw card when it comes to what do you promote the most when it comes to health and nutrition? Well, what is the one go-to that you say, this is gonna help you perform better, this is gonna help reach your goals. When it comes to nutrition, what has been the one thing that has always seemed to work for the majority of people? Oh, well, it's not technically nutrition, but in like terms of the principles that I apply, I'd say like just getting people's behavior and lifestyle in check is like the biggest thing. Like, you know, sleep, most people need more sleep. And if you want to be a really like high performing athlete and train seven times a week, or I've got one guy who's training like 15 times a week as a trying to be a pro kickboxer, like you need a ton of sleep. Um, so I'd say, yeah, lifestyle is number one. And just <clears throat> depending on the goal, like if it's, if the goal wasn't fat loss, probably more relevant than just eating enough. Yeah, like it's the just the obviously there's a lot of emphasis on like picking good foods, but the biggest thing I find people run into issues with is just underfueling themselves. Yeah, and that comes down to I spoke with Dan <laughs> on the previous podcast on this. There's overtraining and then there's under recovery. Yeah, you said your fighter's training fifteen times a week. Yeah, he's not going to reduce his training. He can't. No, to become the best at what he does, he has to keep training that much. The only way to do so is make sure he's getting enough of the right fuel and enough fuel as well. Yeah. Plus, he needs to be able to sleep enough where he can actually recover from each and every training session because training less to him is not an option. No, But he right. does not need to get overtrained if he actually does recover. <coughs> it is so hard to get to that overtraining point and that's where we go, just you gotta look after yourself. You can't be going to HQ, it's not open anymore, <laughs> but you can't be going uh, there on the weekends getting absolutely smashed then expect to wake up Sunday feeling fresh as a daisy and go to training and it doesn't work that way. No, that's yeah, 100% man. So I always, always take people back to the, the muscle and strength pyramid by Eric Helms, it's got behavior and lifestyle on the bottom and then energy balance with calories, the next one. It's like if people aren't looking after their lifestyle and getting in decent sleep and you know paying attention to that around their training, the rest of it doesn't really matter. No. Like you're gonna be screwed from there. <laughs> yeah. All right, here's a controversial one. What are the <laughs> biggest nutrition or fitness myths that need to die? Give us a top three. Whoa, probably I'm thinking there's gotta be something around gut health. The first one, I'd probably say the biggest one is that carbs make you fat. <laughs> like I, th I don't know what that really needs to be said but I still see it pop up so much like I, I'm eating low carb or I'm afraid to eat more carbs or you know I put someone on a, a maintenance plan like oh I don't know how I'm going to eat all these carbs they'll make me fat I'm like how's this still a thing it's like yes carbs will make you gain weight if you don't eat many of them normally because yep. they hold water but they will not fucking make you fat <laughs> they will not make you fat oh god Atkins diet took over oh, we've oh, had man. the paleo <clears throat> diet come in if you want to follow that <clears throat> by all means go for it but to say solely that carbs are the thing that are gonna make you fat. It's just ridiculous. It's energy balance at the end of the day. Fat can make you fat, protein can make you That's fat. It, man. Alcohol can make you fat too, <laughs> no shit. But to say that one source of fuel is the reason that you're getting fat, it might be if you're overeating them. That's right. But what is it? you have to factor in everything else around it too. 
Yeah, what's that called? Correlation, not causation? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Everyone that's ever died has drunk water in their life. That's it. So water must be bad. Exactly. <laughs> that is how you go to that. Now, if low-carb diets work for you, do it. Exactly. It's personal preference, really. Exactly. But don't say that it is the only way to lose weight because it is not. No, 100%. Number two. <laughs> uh, number two, I think with the... Oh, just around the carnival diet, like there seems to be a big thing around at the moment that you know cutting out all veggies and just eating meat and lots of really fatty fats will cure gut health uh, gut bacteria issues and you know this isn't really my scope of practice to be talking about it too in depth it's probably you should see a dietitian but yeah. you know let's just think about it for a second if you've got um, issues with uh, sensitivity in your gut a lot of the things that might cause that would be um, like gassy foods like high FODMAP vegetables yeah if you cut out all your vegetables and you just you cut out all the, the root cause and you just eat lots of high fat products like really lots of saturated fats, lots of protein, but no FODMAP foods, of course, you're probably going to notice that there's a decrease in your IBS or whatever yeah. you're dealing with. Um, but once again, it's like correlation, not causation, and you're probably going to put yourself at some other adverse health risks. So definitely go see a dietitian if you have IBS problems. <laughs> uh, exactly. And I think... We say the the important nutrients and the key nutrient macronutrients at least mm. are fats and <coughs> protein. I've heard some people say that carbs are not an essential uh, macronutrient. <laughs> fiber is though. You exactly. you need to get in fiber. And the way that I always put my recommendations: every ca- thousand calories that you eat, you should be having about ten grams worth of fiber. Exactly. You need to make sure that that gut health is in check. If you literally have IBS issues, yes, go see a dietitian because they'll be able to guide you. But low fodmap foods have worked in the past uh, for many, many people. Mm. And everyone's gonna be individualizing in terms of what they can do. Have a healthy mixture of everything. I've heard the rule of 85%, I can't recall the name of the book, but 85% of your food should come through wheat, uh, <coughs> vegetables, fruits. Yeah. The other 15% can come from dairy, uh, meat <coughs> sauce, and I think that works really, really well. Yeah, I think that's but the But to cut out one single source, you can do it, but it doesn't mean that it's the optimal way. <laughs> no, no. Um, yes. Number three, let's go. What's uh, oh, the biggest three, one? The biggest one. This is, yeah, it's probably would be one of the biggest ones. So um, that eating a high fat diet will burn more fat. Like it, it will, <laughs> it burns more fats for fuel out of your bloodstream, but it does not burn more body fat. People need to understand that, yeah, if you cut out carbs or even if you're eating moderate carbs, but you're eating lots of fats because you think that it's going to increase fat burning, you're doing it the wrong way. Like, yes, your body will burn more fats, but you won't burn more body fat. And if you're eating lots of fats, which are really calorie dense, you're probably gonna gain fat because you're overeating because you're thinking, you're putting all your energy into this one thing that isn't that really that important. Not only that, you know what's really, really common among high fat foods? What's that? They're not satiating. Oh no, exactly. They're small amounts. <sighs> you can eat a spoonful of coconut oil, but it's gonna do sweet fuck all to actually get you full. And first of all, I do not like coconut oil. I'm just no, one of those that don't so like it. Very <laughs> overhyped. So maybe yeah. that's another one we should have put in there, yeah. uh, MTTs. <laughs> we can go down that that's path a long <laughs> way. But simply put, if you're eating <clears throat> low calorie dense foods, you're probably not gonna be eating too many high fat foods. Mm. Your eggs are fantastic, don't get me wrong, they still have some source of fats in there, but they're not just fat in there. Exactly. You don't need to be eating fattier cuts of meat. Fattier cuts of meat are very, <clears throat> very uh, unsatiating because you're getting in a lot of calories for a low <coughs> uh, amount of volume of food. Yeah, there's you not need that much protein in, a, in like a, a, a three-star beef mince. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, And the amount of food that you can actually eat just reduces so much to the point where you probably just don't have an appetite anymore because you're eating the same food all the time. There's only so many times I can eat an avocado or like (laughs) I said, eggs or high fat cuts of meat to the point where you're like, 
man, I just want to eat a piece of fruit. Oh, 100%, man. Like, your body your body needs it, let's be honest. And I think <laughs> that just shows everyone is different, but my God, it's you can have a balance of all different sources of foods. And eating from multiple food groups is probably the healthiest way to go because <laughs> you're not missing out on any essential nutrient or any other nutrients that might help with gut health, that might help with That's performance, it, that might help with a little bit of everything too. Yeah, nailed it. And I think that goes the same thing for the way that people, not just necessarily the diet they follow, but the way that people eat. And meal timing is one of those things that I, I get asked, when should I eat? Should I eat carbs at night? That's the whole carb principle. Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't it's, really it's matter. It's like, you know, a, a 1% difference for the general population. If you're yeah. an athlete, yeah, I don't know, maybe up to 5%. If that, you know, yeah. we're not talking make or break here. Yeah, and everybody is different in that. For myself personally, I very <coughs> much do like intermittent fasting. Yeah. But most people don't work off of that. I work off of that simply because I have a massive appetite. And like if big meals. Yep. Yeah. I can eat a lot of big meals. If I have five <coughs> small meals throughout the day, I'm probably going to be even hungrier after each one of those. Yeah. So I like to skip breakfast yeah. and then eat later on in the day. That means, first of all, when I get up in the morning and I get up pretty early yeah. to train, I don't need to eat because I still have fuel from the night before. That's I've already it. eaten yeah. and I can just get up, have a coffee, go straight to the gym and have a workout. Yeah, I think that's something a lot of people don't realize is <clears throat> if you're a morning trainer, you don't have to eat pre-workout. Like I'm a big advocate for pre-workout fuel, but if you have a big meal, particularly if you have a lot of carbohydrates the night before, yep. that's still in your body to use the next day. Yep. So, you know, you could just get up and have a coffee or a banana or both. Um, or nothing. And or diet right. Or yeah, diet yeah, right. Diet right. All about that. And you'll still have energy to go for the early morning workout. So you don't yeah. have to eat, you know, one, two, three, four hours before the workout if it doesn't suit you or if you just don't like the feeling of it. Because, you know, that can be uncomfortable to have a big meal a couple hours before yeah. an intense training session. Everyone's different. Yeah. Everyone's different. Eat to what makes you feel good. Like 100%. if you and if you're lacking in that. That's where you go see someone like yourself. Yeah. That's where you're like, all right, I have no idea what I'm doing wrong. How do I actually get help? Yeah. But if it's something's really, really working already, and or if you just want to see if it is working really, how can I improve it? Mm. Usually you're doing the right things already. You just need to maybe add that little bit of fuel. Yeah. Or yeah, honestly, it could be as simple as that. If you're not mm. feeling like you're energetic, maybe add a little bit more. If you're starting to have gut issues, that's when you need to start going seeing someone. It's like, what foods might be causing this? Yeah. And it's a process of elimination. We <clears> don't have the... Uh, gold standard this is what works for everyone no but we play there's, around there's with that no and that's where is there no not at all <laughs> now going on to that training and nutrition you've competed in the past before yeah yeah. as a physique competitor yeah men's physique yeah when did you do that please speak about your experience I think it was November last year yeah 2020 it seems since um, COVID happened just the time in between it like, oh, <laughs> God, I think it was yeah it was during COVID yeah so we, the show got cancelled that was a stressful time um, my prep went for 18 weeks originally I was prepping a couple of friends who wanted me to help them out um, and be sort of my, my trial clients. Um, you know, I just started getting into the sports nutrition side of things then and looking to broaden my scope a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so I put, trying to get my name out there a little bit. So I had two mates that I was prepping. Um, one of them pulled out, one of them went along with it. And originally I wasn't gonna compete with them. Um, I'd put on a reasonable amount of body fat during uh, the first lockdown and through my, my so-called bulk phase. So I was thinking- <laughs> Winter, baby. <laughs> oh yeah, there's definitely a bit of extra pattern for the, <laughs> a bit of extra warmth for the winter. But yeah, I, I didn't plan on competing until this year, actually season B. Yeah. So oh, in an ideal world, I would have kept building and then had a, a decent diet and competed this year. But I decided I wanted to compete alongside my best friends. Mm-hmm. So had a, a still a decent prep. I was 16 or 18 weeks 
but I had a lot of body fat to lose. Yeah. So I did it myself. Um, I was coaching my friends and uh, prepped myself. And it was, a, it was a real eye-opener for sure. Like I went quite conservative at the start, trying to prove that you know you don't have to drive yourself into the ground, do lots of cardio and stuff to, um, to prep. Um, and you know, I thought I was doing all right, but then I think I wasn't quite assertive enough or aggressive enough off the bat. And I found myself playing a bit of catch up later on. Yeah. Also stupidly decided that I wanted to do my first novice powerlifting comp <laughs> six weeks out from comp. <laughs> so I did that and I was like, oh, I'd lost like 12 kilos already. And I was very drained. I tried to hit a PB on squats, didn't go well. <laughs> hit an all time uh, equal PR on deadlifts and stuff. But yeah, that was just stupid, but it was a bit of fun. It was all a learning experience for mm-hmm. me. And then came in really, went really hard after that period of the next six weeks with the cup because I knew then I didn't have anything else in the way I could just, you know, I could go into work and be a zombie and just, you know, diet really hard. Yeah. Came in really uh, good condition, could have maybe done with another week of dieting and uh, got a got a fourth and fifth place sure. effort. So I was, I was happy, anything that, any any place um, I was happy with. And I saw some photos, man, you're looking good. Yeah, cheers, man. <laughs> Damn. But at the same time, obviously that experience had highs and lows. Like mm. you said that you were playing catch up, <laughs> but you're still able to compete in powerlifting. Yes. And you ended up getting on staging and placing. At the end of the day, it's gonna be a better experience for you and also helping you coach clients down the path that might <laughs> want to do that as well at some point. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's good to see the yeah the, the highs and the lows of it myself before I started you know actually advertising as a coach. Yeah. Um, there were definitely some low points like immensely. Um, it was definitely tough towards the end around that that last six weeks. Um, a lot of doubt sets in, and that's when it's really good to have whether you know you're competing or not, just to have that um objective or other subjective set of eyes. On you to tell you, you know, whether you're okay, you're a little bit fat, or you know, you need to you need to cut a little bit more, or no, you're doing fine. You need yeah. to, you know, eat some more carbs, something like that. Yeah. Now that you've done it once, you reckon you'll do it again? Absolutely. Yeah. I've been building pretty hard ever since, um, and planning to compete next October. Yeah. So hopefully by then, shows will be next October. Ah, uh, yeah, next October. Yep. Yeah, Shit. yeah. So still got another year. Well. Yeah, at least another six months of building. Have you? Yeah, I was about to ask. Have you planned out how long you plan on? <clears throat> keeping going up a way or building muscle do you know what stage you'll start what weight do you have as a goal and then how low do you think you'll need to get yeah i, I sort of said i'd probably build a bit more body fat than i would have liked because i've been sort of prioritizing social life and things a little bit more since the comp and and business as well but i think i'd like to build another two kilos bring me up to close to 90 mm-hmm. and then i reckon I've, I've definitely put on a bit of lean mass so last time i was 72 on stage probably like to think that i could be around 75 and and be probably slightly better conditioned as well. Yeah. Um, so that'd be nice in the ideal world, but we'll have to wait and see what the end result has. <laughs> Watch the space, you've got a lot of time, a lot, it, a lot more big eating to go, that's for sure. 100%. <laughs> now, uh, with that, what is it, what are your business goals for the future? You've stepped into online now pretty heavily. What are your business goals for that? <clears throat> um, yeah, well, obviously I've been putting a lot of time and effort into my nutrition only coaching. I'm still like, I still do training programs as well, but nutrition has kind of been my thing that people come to, they come to me for, that's my, my go-to. Yeah. Um, everyone knows me as sports nutritionist Sedzi now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just want to keep on building my online business. Um, personal training's kind of good where it is at the moment. I'm happy, happy doing my, my 10 to 15 sessions a week. Um, so I want to yeah, build the online business, maybe bring on a, a co-coach to help out, um, service everybody and expand further. And yeah, I haven't really thought too much uh, further than that, but yeah, one day one day it would be nice to have a facility, something probably not quite as big as this, something like quite private, but we'll have to see what the future holds.
Beethoven can throw a spanner in the works and that just to let you know. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Um, To finish off, tell the people something that no one else knows about you. Um, Where do you start? Probably a few ones up my sleeve, but don't know how many appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) I once spent... Editing editing is a great tool, so let's see what happens. I'll go my hardest. I I once spent... Uh, three and a bit weeks living in Cancun for spring break that was 2015 I've got a tattoo on my back to show for it oh so no <laughs> it was meant to be a trip around America as well my friends decided that they just wanted to stay in Cancun so I, I wonder why I wonder why <laughs> oh, it was pretty good it was yeah definitely a. it was a time <laughs> I guess we were still on the five year hiatus of Ziz so we're still just trying to celebrate his memory right yeah. <laughs> goodness gracious my man can you please tell them where they can find you on the socials absolutely so my business page is integrated PC for integrated performance coaching and you can also stay up to date myself personally and for all things nutrition on sportsnutritionist.sedzy that is s-e-d-s-y chris sedzy you've been an absolute pleasure man thanks guys thank you for tuning in and if you got any valuable information from there please give him a follow give us a follow and please give us a five-star rating if you really found it that beneficial give it a share on the socials and guys until next time it's been the australian athletic podcast